0: Hi. <laughs> this is uh, kind of awkward <clears throat> uh, this is the first Sunday of uh, a mandatory instituted um, how you say, dress code <laughs> so this is the first Sunday I thought I would can you can you understand me okay because I can hardly breathe that was the longest prayer Sam I've lost fifteen pounds in the last ten minutes uh, i I think I've discovered that this this surely is a uh A way for me as a Christian to be safe in a dirty world. Uh. (laughs) Uh, Especially here at Hyde Wesleyan Church on a Sunday morning. Hazmat suit. Who knew they had them in plus sizes, huh? Some of you are a little baffled by that. Surely this method of wearing layers that no air can escape from is, is a way, right? Surely not. Um, this, this, this part's a little awkward. I, I thought through how awkward it would be to actually get dressed in this in front of you, but I didn't think through how awkward it is until first service happened, how awkward it is to undress in front of you. So, Forgive me. Obviously, a hazmat suit... Is not the way. Yeah, you want to help me out? (laughs) She just wants to make sure I'm wearing pants. (laughs) You get, you get what I'm talking about. In an illustration, a hazmat suit is not a good way to protect myself or you from the ways of the world. If you've grown up in the church, you've heard a Christianese phrase used. That we are, as Christians, to be in this world, but not... Yep, you were raised right next to me. I'm going to switch to this mic. Seriously, that as a weight loss program. (laughs) If you could feel what I'm feeling right now. We're going to ring that out and sell that stuff. <clears throat> <laughs> Delete that. <laughs> I've grown up in church and heard my whole life that as a Christian, I am to be in this world, but not of it. And it comes with good intentions, a phrase like that used in, in many different contexts, many different opportunities as a way of uh, trying to develop some character in a young guy as I grew up in church and develop character of, of being in this world but not giving into the ways of the world. Modern illustration of it I attempted this morning to think that we as Christians could get away with simply putting on hazmat suits to go about our normal business as wholly called out ones kind of silly that idea of being in the world but not of it uh, is 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 something that jesus taught on and and we've come up with that christianese phrase as the church in, in a way of describing what jesus meant in a prayer that he prayed that comes from john's gospel that i want to look at real quickly to start us out jesus prays this in john chapter 17 verses 13 to 19 and it's important listen to this jesus's words to god He says this in his prayer. Now I am coming to you. I told them, my disciples, many things while I was with them in this world so they would be filled with my joy. I have given them your word and the world hates them because they do not belong to the world just as I do not belong to the world. Verse 15, here's where we've interpreted it. Jesus to God. I'm not asking you, Father... To take them out of the world, but to keep them safe from the evil one. They do not belong to this world any more than I do. Make them holy by your truth. Teach them your word, which is truth. Just as you sent me into the world, I am sending them into the world. And I give myself as a holy sacrifice for them so they can be made holy by your truth. Jesus' prayer for those who would remain upon this earth living out the mission of the church he says it this way i'm not asking god my father for you to take them out of this world but to keep them safe from the evil one for centuries since jesus prayed that prayer christians everywhere have been uh, interpreting what that looks like right how it is we can uh, live out Jesus' uh, ask of God to not remove us from the world, but to keep us safe. And we've uh, uh, invented for ourselves many different methods for protecting uh, ourselves and, and remaining, maybe not inside of a hazmat suit, but, but in finding ways to distance ourselves from the very world Jesus came to save we all know maybe you were raised in similar situations. Well, we all know Christians that were raised in, in, in ways uh, that tried uh, with many different attempts to remove uh, a family, to remove uh, an entire congregation from the ways of the world. We've invented for ourselves many methods to protect ourselves From the world, maybe uh, maybe we've we've gone to the extent of trying to uh, segregate ourselves and stay as far away. And we've developed uh, entire uh, Christian uh, groups that would that would say that they have nothing to do with the ways of the world. Last week, marvelously, uh, our general superintendent, Dr. Wayne Schmidt, shared uh, a powerful message to launch us into this idea of what it looks like to uh, to experience the inclusivity or the exclusivity of the table of our Lord. And Jesus' life, His ministry, His life upon this earth teaches us that the very reason we sang songs about it all morning, the very reason Jesus came to earth was to save us from ourselves, save us from the sinful nature that we gained since our first breath. Surely there is a better way for us as Christians to infiltrate the world. To knock down the gates of hell. Surely there's a better way than wearing hazmat suits or digging bomb shelters or locking ourselves behind closed doors. Surely Jesus had for the church A mission that didn't include staying away. Over the next few weeks, I want to look at what I think is a better way of understanding the mission of living holy lives in a broken, holy-less world. First, a question I want to ask is, what are, what are we? Who, who, who are, we? What are we? What are we made of? What, what are you made of It's one of those questions maybe that you hear on the football field on the first day of practice. What are you made of? You ever been asked that question? What are you made of? Who, who are you? What makes you who you are? How do you, how do you function? Uh, we've been told since the earliest days of science class that we're made of mostly water, you know, you no know, sweets, it's sugar. I'm just kidding. You're right. Is this water? Science teachers are about to throw something at me. We've been told early that our body is made mostly of water. But what else makes us? How is it that that here we are experiencing the miraculous? We are in the presence of other human beings. Are we just water uh, put into balloons? And we're walking around and breathing and talking and functioning and living life? Or is there something more? I'm, I'm just a... Clearfield preacher. I I don't know a lot, so I googled it. What are we made of? Want to know? 99% of the mass of the human body is made up of just six elements. You want to know what they are? Sure, Pastor (laughs) (laughs) Steven. Oxygen, carbon, hydrogen, nitrogen, calcium, and phosphorus. And thus concludes today's science lesson. Close your books. Put your pencils away, get your bags. What about beyond our bodies, right? There's something about a human being that makes us quite different than our dog named Spot, right? I mean, sometimes we both eat out of bowls with no utensils. <laughs> but there's something different, yeah? There's something that makes us uniquely human and a dog, a dog, and a cat, a shame. That's not even in here. That's awesome. What, what makes us human? I, let's turn back to Genesis, the first book in the Bible. Genesis chapter 2. Chapter 2 is that Cliff's Notes version, uh, the, uh, the outline version of exactly how God created. It's not the day by day, day one, day two, and it was good. It's, it's the overview, Cliff's Notes. Look with me at Genesis chapter 2, verses 4 to 7. God's Word says this, This is the account of the heavens and the earth when they were created, when the Lord God made the earth and the heavens. Verse 5, Now no shrub had yet appeared on the earth, and no plant had yet sprung up. For the Lord God had not sent rain on the earth, and there was no one to work the ground but streams came up from the earth and watered the whole surface of the ground fascinating right verse 7 then the lord god formed a man from the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life and the man became a living being Something fun that all of us can do is we can become uh, armchair Bible scholars. Without going to years of uh, seminary or Bible school, you can learn right now uh, what words mean what in the original languages. Did you know? Time to burst your bubble. Did you know that Genesis was not written in English? (laughs) If that's news for you, we better have lunch together. You're buying. Genesis is not written in English. It was written in the ancient language of Hebrew. it's given it to us, thankfully, in many modern translations by people a lot smarter than me, who have taken time to look at thoughts and words and dialect and figure out what is meant by the original languages. But with a resource like a website, blueletterbible.org, if you haven't ever been there, I dare you, not during the message. Blueletterbible.org is a great resource for you to do some at-home word studies. Your pastor uses it all the time. It's a wonderful opportunity to look at a language, uh, look at a a word that is written in an ancient language that I can't speak, can't understand very well, and to find out how is that word used elsewhere? What's a better understanding? And so uh, we have, through resources like Blue Letter Bible and other wonderful lexicons full of words that no one can say, an opportunity to find out that a word uh, used in verse 7 that the man became a living being. We use the term being. We use human being. We understand it in our context. But the word being in the original language is the word, the Hebrew word, "nefesh." Everybody say "nefesh." nefesh. Great. Now you're a Bible scholar just like me. Nephesh. Not a Bible scholar. Nefesh, which a a more literal translation would be that use of the word that we often use, soul. The man, in verse 7, the man became with the breath of life in his nostrils from God, the creator, the author of all things. At that, God breathed life and a soul was made. We've heard and seen and used the term soul before, but for the next several weeks, I'll, I want us to look at what the true meaning of being a soul, what makes us us. To identify the importance of it, of a soul, and to realize the need that we have to experience having a soul detox, that our soul what identifies us can and should be held in a way that identifies our creator and lived out in a way that acknowledges he has called us to holy living. How important is the soul? How important is that, that thing that, 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 that makes us who we are? How important is it to acknowledge the, the life? That we live there. There's an author from the uh, late 1800s. His name's William Howe. And he wrote a book called Plain Words to Children. It's about as deep as a book as I can handle. (laughs) Plain Words to Children. And he writes this about the soul. Listen to this as he wrote. He says this, what a wonderful thing the soul is. So you can't see it, you can't hear it, you can't touch it, yet you know it's There. You don't need any proof that you have a soul you are as sure of that as you are that you have a body it tells you itself he continues now i think i'm wrong after all in saying that you have a soul ought i not to say you are a soul is not the soul really you in truth it is the soul that has a body not the body that has a soul For the soul is greater surely than the body and will last far beyond when the body is laid aside in death. Two things that I want to get straight at the onset of the next several weeks of this sermon series. First, understand we are not a body with a soul. You get it? Instead, we are a soul with a body. That's how important understanding how it is, who it is we are, according to the Genesis account. The Genesis account does not say that at creation man was given a living soul, that it was just an assembly line process, and uh, each person was given a soul, handed out a soul to add to their body. Instead, we understand that we, through Adam, became Living souls. We are a soul with a body. We talk about this. We use this terminology when we talk uh, after someone has been deceased. We understand the importance of remembering uh, that we don't get to take anything with us into eternity. Right? There's no U-Hauls behind the hearse. Remember that? We, we, we laugh about that kind of stuff. We know we don't get to take this beautiful head of hair. Teresa, we've got to talk. We know that we don't get to take uh, the things that we gain in this world with us into eternity. We understand that we don't get to take this awful mask. How does anyone wear one? If any of you wear one of these every day, I have a new respect for you. We don't take anything that we have with us into heaven. We understand, we read in Scripture that we are given what? A new What are we looking forward to, those of you who are uh, over 60 years of age right now? A new what? A new body. Yeah, even those of us under 40 are looking forward to a new body who can tackle and run and jump in clouds and stuff. We know the difference. We, we talk about it in some terms, and yet we, we revert back to how important our, our body is in this life. But understanding the perspective of, of, of being a soul and having a, a body leads us to realize that as human beings, because of original sin... We are little more than restless souls. That's the title this morning of week one of this soul detox series. Restless souls. We're going to talk... For about four sermons about the importance of identifying what it is about our soul. Back to Genesis. Look back with me. Genesis chapter 4. We we, we know the account that continues on. Uh, God made everything. It was beautiful. It was good. He created man in his image. And he gave them opportunity to multiply across the world. And Adam and Eve chose to go against God's wishes. And they ate the fruit from the fruit of of the tree of the knowledge between good and evil. And by doing this, they drove a wedge between humanity and God. And it doesn't take long in the biblical account for us to find out just how far humanity went and quickly. Genesis chapter 4, verses 8 through 12. Here we have Cain and Abel. You know this story if you were raised in the church. Verse 8, now Cain said to his brother Abel, let's go out into the field. While they were there in the field, Cain attacked Abel and he killed him. Then the Lord says to Cain, where's your brother Abel? I don't know. Am I my brother's keeper? He replies. The Lord said, what have you done? What have you done? Listen, your brother's blood cries out to me from the ground, God says. Now you are under a curse and driven from the ground which opened its mouth to receive your brother's blood from your hand. Verse 12. Now, Cain When you work the ground, it will no longer yield its crops for you. You will be a restless wanderer on the earth. One of the results of sin, according to Genesis chapter 4, the sin that we're born into since the moment we come to this world, Is that like Cain? We are cursed to be restless wanderers, restless souls on this earth. This is our human nature, that we understand that this is not all that we've been created for. And I think this is confirmed by everything we see when we look around us. The hustle and bustle of everyday life. It is the credential of this curse. It is the identifying mark. Maybe we find occasional rest if we take a two-week vacation to New Smyrna Beach and we sit in a chair and just watch the waves. I'm going back there right now. Stay with me. <laughs> we find occasional rest when we uh, take time to get away from it all, when we turn the TV off, when we shut the lights and close the blinds and we just chill without Netflix. Maybe we find occasional rest when we pour that glass of tea and sit on the front porch and rock back and forth. But how long is it Am I alone in how quickly my mind wanders to all the things I've got to do? All the things that are going on, all the unfinished products, all the unfinished projects, all the things that have to be done in the next however many minutes, hours, and days. We are, at our core, restless wanderers. We are, as as a people, as a human nature, always searching for, looking for, finding whatever is next ecclesiastes chapter 2 verses 22 and 23 say it this way what do people get for all the toil and anxious striving with which they labor under the sun all their days their work is grief and pain and even at night their minds do not rest anybody say amen to even at night their minds do not rest i said it in the first service surprisingly but not surprising. Last night, I had a fitful night's sleep. Wouldn't you know it? I don't, I don't remember how many times I woke up and thinking about all the things that needed to be done, all the things that needed to make sure that they were in place and uh, together for not just this morning, but this week and what's going on in our life in the church and ministry. And it was like, oh my goodness, there's so much. And I think oftentimes around our families and our workplaces and our, our studies, we have that example before us of all the things that cause us to live out this reality of because of our sinful nature, we are restless souls. So, is there any hope? Yes, there is. The only place, let me say it bold and loud, the only place we can find rest for our restless soul is in the one who gave it to us it's God God is the only source of rest for your soul you're not going to find it in more stuff you're not going to find it in more people more time away though ask for that time away and get it if you can we're not going to find it in any substance we can create or by we're going to find it in any other place our souls only find rest true rest in God alone scripture is not absent in this reality the psalmist declares in Psalm 62 1 truly my soul finds rest in God my salvation comes from him my soul finds rest Jesus in Matthew chapter 11 verse 28 come to me all you who are weary and burdened and restless and I will give you we write it on our walls. We write it on our signs. We know. Jesus continues, Take my yoke upon you. Learn from me. I am gentle and humble in heart. You will find rest for your souls. We can find rest only in the source of our Creator. If the source of rest for the restless soul is in God, then How? How, how, do, how do we get it? Does it come naturally? Does it come automatically? Can we, can we, can we just say, uh, now, thank you? Allow me to propose three practical ways for us as believers, as, as Christians this morning, that we can tap into the rest that is offered for our soul. First this, be still before God. I don't want to talk about this true confession be still before God being still is difficult I don't think just for me I don't like to slow down I don't like to be still but enough about me let me tell you about my nine year old son I've got a restless soul who's nine years old living under our roof the boy is active when we send Ezra and Ella uh, up for bed, there are, I, I can't tell you the last time Jess and I haven't looked at each other, when we send them upstairs, and we, the only thing we can imagine is that Ezra is trying to dig out of prison from his room. That's what it sounds like. He's got jackhammers, I promise. Something is going on all the time with Ez. Something is always active. He's always moving. He's always doing something. You know what that means? It, 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 it's normal, Right? It's normal to hear him actively moving. What happens when we don't hear him moving? You're laughing because you get this. If you don't hear something, he must have found the matches, right? (laughs) if, If we don't hear something from Ezra, something is wrong. That's why this idea of being still, calming down, taking time, to be still just doesn't compute very well. In, in our culture, activity equals productivity, right? We can't make money looking at each other. Well, with the internet, probably now you can. We know that action is, allows results. Movement is positive. Action is applauded. It's the metric that we measure everything. We, we understand that to be productive means we have to be doing something. And I've told you before that I have a, a nasty tendency of filling my life with as much noise as I can because it's comforting to have motion and action in my life. It's uncomfortable to be still and calm. And yet, Scripture, in spiritual understanding, Scripture overwhelmingly tells us to be still before God. Psalm 46.10, God says, Be still and know that I am God. Be still and know that I am God. I love how God uses that phrasing different than my parents did. Be still! (laughs) Don't send them this video link. Let me throw it back on myself. We pull up to a stoplight. stop sign. The car is still right we 've been moving usually somewhere in the neighborhood of ninety miles an hour now we 're stopped, and then from somewhere behind my seat there 's just the slightest of motion with my son with leg a uh, restless leg syndrome i don 't know what it is again he 's a restless soul in a nine-year-old body, and the whole car. (laughs) I think you're laughing because you have the same one living under your house. It's amazing, isn't it? I don't know how many times I hear my dad when I say, Ezra, be still. My interpretation of be still is I don't want the car to be moving right now. God's desire for us, when he says be still, it's not just to get the car to stop moving. It's not to make his life better. God says be still and know that I am God. What I hear God saying in that is that for us to acknowledge, to truly know that he is God, we've got to settle. We as busy, restless souls have to make time to step out of the assembly lines of life and slow down, be still, and realize that God is God. If we don't take time, if we don't slow ourselves down, the world takes over. But what happens? What happens if we do uh, live out that spiritual discipline of being still? What if we uh, find the opportunity to uh, truly tap into that that need and we are still and we take time to uh, step away from it all and turn off our phone or not bring it with us and still ourselves, settle ourselves before God and we don't hear anything? Ever been there? What happens next? What happens if that's the reality? What happens if we, okay, I will be still for 12 seconds. And nothing happens. (laughs) Maybe you've prayed your heart out. You've exhausted yourself spiritually. And you've waited for God to answer. You've begged God for an audible response. Or like me as a kid, asked Him to move something in your room. That would have been so cool. And nothing happens. Step two. In order to find the rest for a restless soul, we need to be still. And secondly, we need to wait Wait for God. Isn't it funny how we put our terms on what God asks us to do? Be still. Okay. 12 seconds. That's all you get. I don't like the word wait. I don't like the word patience. Not much in our culture revolves around us having to be patient Or wait. I I, I confessed this morning in first service that I I like God the way that I like my double cheeseburgers at McDonald's. I like to ask at the counter or at the drive-thru for my double cheeseburger. And I like to drive the 12 feet ahead to the first window, pay for it very quickly, and then get it at the very next window. And I like to demand... That it has no onions, but extra pickles. And if it's wrong, I don't complain much. <laughs> but isn't it interesting that we in our culture oftentimes find ourselves wanting God to be the same that we want our fast food delivery? In our terms, in our time, our way. God says, wait. Psalm 130 verses 5 and 6, the psalmist poetically writes, I wait for the Lord. My soul waits. In his word, I hope. My soul waits for the Lord. More than those who watch for the morning. Yes, more than those who watch for the morning. You know what this passage of scripture reveals to me? There are those among us, believe it or not, who wake up before the sun. Weird, right? Unless you're going fishing, then it's cool. Or hunting. There are those who do it for fun. The psalmist writes, My soul waits expendedly for God more than those that wait for that sun sure thing to rise. It's going to happen, right? You could right now ask Google or Siri what time tomorrow's sunrise is going to happen. And beep, beep, we know. We know it's going to happen. The psalmist declares... A waiting on God is as sure of a thing. God is beyond my drive through window mentality. God is beyond the limitations i 've set for him. God is beyond my idea of when he needs to show up and how he needs to show up. I told you before, I come up with some pretty good plans. I have some plans for my kids and our family. I have some ideas. And I like to think that my ideas could possibly be God's ideas, and so I give them to God in a way. Here's what I want you to do, Lord. You just do this. It would be great. And the reminder here is that God's, God's plan, I need to wait upon Him, not submit to Him my ideas, not, not give to Him my demands, not to show Him my plan for my life, and if He could just follow that, that would be great. Be still before the Lord. Wait for God. Wait for God does not mean twiddling our thumbs and rolling our eyes. Amen? Ooh. Waiting for God does not mean twiddling our thumbs and rolling our eyes. While we wait on God, we should be asking ourselves some questions. What does He want to show me? What does He want to say to me? What does He want to do in and through me. Be still and wait. Finally, while we're doing that, third, reflect on God's goodness. Reflect on God's goodness. As we learn to be still before God, to wait on Him, there's no better way to occupy that time. As we learn to be patient than to reflect on His Goodness. I I love Psalm 116, verses 7 through 9. It says this Return to your rest, my soul, for the Lord has been good to you. For you, O Lord, have delivered me from death. That's a goodness, right? For you have delivered me, my eyes from my tears, my feet from stumbling, that I may walk before the Lord in the land of the living. Reflect on God's goodness. We talk about this sometimes. This is one of my go-to mechanisms as I'm talking with someone, counseling uh, someone through life's stuff. I love to be able to reflect upon uh, how often it is life has stuff that's not so good, yeah? And to talk about how God has brought us through some tough stuff before and we can be still and wait on Him again. Personally, Whenever life is overwhelming, I love taking time, making time, to think back through some of the stories of my own life, my family's life, the churches we've served in, and reflect and testify of God's goodness through droughts and storms. It's interesting to note that this discipline of reflecting on God's goodness doesn't do anything to God. God. It doesn't change anything about God's ability, right? It doesn't ask him to do more or less because of what he's done. What we're reflecting is allowing us to see. It puts us in a perspective. It gives us an opportunity to be at the right mindset, to hear from him, to acknowledge, God, you've shown up so many times in my life. So, to find rest for the restless soul, we must be men and women, boys and girls, who Learn to be still before God, to wait for Him, and reflect on His goodness. It's a tall task. We have the opportunity today and every day to do that. Would you stand with me? Under your seats this morning, you'll find your hazmat suit nicely packaged. (laughs) Somebody just checked. God has called us to be set apart. He calls us set apart ones, holy, used for His purposes. We can try in vain to make ourselves that way or acknowledge that He is doing the work. My hazmat suit will fail me every time. Jesus' prayer that we would not be taken out of this world, but that we would be protected from the evil one who has capacity in this world right now can be lived out as we identify that, yep, we're restless souls. It's what we are. But God has given us the opportunities to find that rest. Would you bow your heads? As your heads are bowed, let me ask you how restless is your soul? What's keeping you right now from finding the rest offered from God through Jesus? And which step? which step do you need to take to find the rest that he offers in an awkward because we don't do it enough moment of silence be still before God wait on him reflect on his goodness just for a few seconds God would you give us the rest that we desperately long for as restless souls would you show us this week the opportunities we have to be still to wait and reflect and God I pray that your Holy Spirit would speak to us in a way that we can understand and know that we are hearing from the King of Kings and Lord of Lords. God, I pray that we would not be quick to invest in hazmat suits, but rather to take the hope we have into a hopeless world. Help us to be agents of hope in every conversation we have this week to reflect the true light of glory the hope through Jesus Christ our Lord guide us by your hand in all that we do go with us from this place and unite us back together again for worship and fellowship we give you all of our burdens all of our worries all of our cares